horseflies on the porch in the dead of winter, unexplained sounds in the middle of the night, muddy footprints across the floor from a mysterious pair of boots. This was just the start of the haunting at the Ammons house. And then came the demons. If you enjoy these episodes and want to hear more like them, follow Unexplained Mysteries free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Something to note. Certain names in this story have been changed to protect people's identities. On April 19th, 2012, caseworker Valerie Washington entered the Methodist Hospital in Gary, Indiana. She had been sent by the Department of Child Services to investigate the latest development with the Ammons family. A nurse met up with Valerie on her way to the hospital room, filling her in on LaToya Ammons' case. According to him, LaToya had checked her children into the hospital because she was convinced evil spirits had possessed them. Valerie wanted to be sympathetic toward the family, but it was 2012. Surely there was a rational explanation for the kids' behavior. With that reassuring thought in mind, Valerie and the psychologists entered the hospital room and greeted LaToya Ammons, her mother, Rosa Campbell, and LaToya's three children, 12-year-old Erica, 9-year-old Josh, and 7-year-old Sean. As Valerie began her interview, Sean suddenly turned to his brother and threatened him in an unnatural voice, saying, It's time to die. I will kill you. In response, Josh leaped up and bizarrely started headbutting his grandmother Rosa. But instead of removing herself, Rosa took her grandson's hand and prayed. The boy smiled at his grandmother's prayers. He started backing away from her until he reached the wall. And then he kept going. Valerie watched in shock as the nine-year-old walked backwards, up the wall, and across the ceiling. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. This is our first episode on the Ammons Haunting Case, the chilling story of one family's experience with demonic possession. This week, we'll follow the Ammons as they move into their new house. We'll cover the family's encounter with terrifying apparitions and supernatural torments. Finally, we'll detail how they managed to save themselves. Next week, we'll examine what might have caused these supernatural events. We'll explore whether the Ammons family lied about their experiences or if they suffered from some sort of shared hallucination. 
Lastly, we'll investigate the final theory behind the Ammons experiences. That Gary, Indiana was the site of one of the most intense hauntings in modern history. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In November 2011, the Ammons moved into a home they had rented in Gary, Indiana. Altogether, they were a family of five. 31-year-old Latoya, her daughter, 12-year-old Erica, 9-year-old Josh, 7-year-old Sean, and their grandmother, Rosa Campbell. Josh, Sean, and Erica were excited about their new home. The one-story house had three bedrooms and a screened-in porch, so it was a nice place to settle down. However, none of the Ammons were prepared for what awaited them inside. The following story may seem unbelievable, but it was pieced together from eyewitness accounts by Rosa, LaToya, and several officials from the government, hospitals, and a local church. The first month was fairly normal. The Ammons' children went to school and Rosa and LaToya unpacked, turning the older house into a home. But as the weather grew colder, strange events began happening. One day, the family returned to their home to find black horseflies swarming around the porch. To LaToya and Rosa, this didn't make any sense. The weather was far too cold for summertime insects to survive. Even so, the flies kept returning far more quickly than LaToya and Rosa could kill them. Then one day, the bugs just stopped coming back. There was no rhyme or reason behind their sudden disappearance, but unwilling to look a gift horse in the mouth, the family moved on, glad that they had gotten rid of their unwelcome visitors. In truth, the flies had just been the overture. Over the next few months, the Ammons' home became more and more unsettling. Soon after the flies disappeared, the family began hearing clattering sounds at night. They seemed to be coming from the basement. The Ammons didn't think much of it initially. It was an old house and not well-maintained. 
They knew that dated structures had a habit of creaking and making noises that sounded sinister to the untrained ear. But even with this knowledge, Latoya began to grow suspicious that something odd was happening in their new home. Especially because, on more than one occasion, she and Rosa had overheard the steady sound of boots walking up the basement stairs. Once the boots reached the top, the women would often hear the distinct sound of the kitchen door creaking open. Yet each time they investigated, the door was closed and the basement empty. Each night after putting her three kids to sleep, Latoya made sure to lock the basement door, just in case. Then one night, there was a crash against the basement door, like a sudden rush of wind had slammed it shut. Latoya and Rosa rushed to investigate, but as usual, the basement was empty. The two women talked about these strange happenings. First, the flies on the porch, and now the unexplained noises. However, it was still too early to say that these occurrences were anything other than the quirks of their new home. But night after night, the family was disturbed by these crashes. Rosa and Latoya checked the gas and electricity, searching for the source of the noises. But each time, they found nothing. As the weeks wore on, the atmosphere only grew stranger. One night, as the Ammon's grandmother, Rosa, watched TV, she heard dogs barking and scratching at the back door. But as soon as she opened the door, the barking stopped. And though Rosa scanned the darkness, there were no dogs anywhere outside. Despite the fact that she never physically saw any animals, the phantom dog quickly became the newest instrument in the house's terrifying symphony. Night after night, the Ammons family dreaded what new eerie sound they would hear. One night, Rosa awoke to the sound of creaking floorboards. Half asleep, she looked through the door of her bedroom into the living room. What she saw made her freeze in terror. There was a shadowy figure pacing about the central room of the house. Rosa knew it couldn't be one of her family members because it was taller than Latoya and any of the three children. However, when Rosa finally summoned enough nerve to turn the lights on and investigate, the figure had vanished. But this time, the specter left behind signs of its intrusion. Muddy bootprints stamped across the floor. Like the figure itself, the footprints were far too large to belong to any member of the Ammon family. From their size, they seemed to belong to a man. Rosa's shadowy figure was not the only new disturbance. Over the next few weeks, the children began experiencing bizarre physical symptoms, becoming ill and bleeding from the mouth and nose. Yet as far as hauntings go, the Ammons family case appeared to be survivable. Apart from some lost sleep and temporary symptoms, the Ammons were in good health, and they still tried to explain the strange happenings away. Mostly. To put her mind at ease, Latoya reached out to several local churches to see if they thought the family was experiencing supernatural phenomena. But her calls fell on deaf ears. Most of the parishes likely thought she was making the stories up or trying to scam them. But at least one of the churches recommended that the family paint crosses on their doors in oil so that they could invoke divine protection over the house. 
After following this advice and using olive oil to anoint her children and her home, Latoya also contacted a pair of clairvoyants. When they came to the house and conducted their investigation, the psychics were floored by what they found. They told Latoya that not only was the house haunted, it was under siege. According to them, her home housed over 200 demons. Latoya was stunned as the clairvoyants gave her and Rosa a piece of advice, the kind everybody shouts at the screen during a horror movie. Just leave the house. But moving wasn't an option for the Ammons family. They were already struggling to make ends meet, so they couldn't afford to simply pack up and go somewhere else. Besides, none of their relatives had enough space to house all five of them indefinitely. One of the psychics understood and gave the two women alternative advice. They needed to protect their house against demons. Under the psychic's direction, the family set up an altar in the basement. They also continued to follow the church's original advice and painted crosses on the doors and windows with olive oil. Latoya continued to anoint her children's hands and feet in the same way. But even as she carried out these blessings, she was worried. It would take much more than olive oil to protect them. Up next, the hauntings intensify. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. In the spring of 2012, the Ammons family had only lived in their new Gary, Indiana home for a few months before they started experiencing inexplicable events. Unsettling noises came from all over the house, and a shadowy figure had been seen pacing in the living room. It once left behind muddy footprints. Then, things took a turn for the worse. In the early hours of March 10, 2012, Latoya Ammons and her mother Rosa Campbell were hosting friends who had come for a visit as they mourned the death of a loved one. The three kids had long since gone to bed, but at 2 a.m., 12-year-old Erica started yelling, Mama! Mama! Upon hearing her daughter's cries, Latoya rushed upstairs, followed quickly by Rosa and their guests. But when she burst into Erica's bedroom, Latoya froze in shock. Her daughter was levitating above her bed, unconscious. The adults formed a circle around the hovering preteen. They began to pray fiercely, saying whatever holy words they could think of. Their prayers seemed to work. Eventually, Erica gently drifted back down onto her bed. Once there, she woke up. Latoya asked her what had happened, but Erica said she didn't remember the last few minutes. At that, Latoya was at a loss. She had no idea what to do. At first, the haunting seemed relatively benign, but that night, it looked to everyone like her daughter was possessed. After March 10th, the guests who had been at the Ammons' house refused to step foot inside ever again. What they'd seen was simply too traumatic for them. 
As for Latoya and Rosa, they decided they needed to take their house's haunting more seriously. They continued to smear olive oil all over the doors to ward off evil demons. And now, they also began to draw olive oil crosses on their children's heads before sending them to school. But most of the time, the kids weren't even able to attend classes. The hauntings would keep them up all night, leaving them exhausted. This then caused them to miss school. Latoya knew her family couldn't go on living this way. So eventually, she and a friend took a dramatic step to rid the house of demons. To protect this friend's identity, we'll call her Dominique. Latoya and Dominique went to the basement altar. There, they burned incense, filling the room with smoke. Then, they took out a Bible. Latoya drew a cross in the thick incense and began to read from the Bible. The exact passage she chose was Psalm 91, a passage about seeking refuge in God. Latoya recited, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Chanting the psalm, Latoya moved throughout the house spreading incense smoke until she was confident that she'd repelled the demonic presence. Silence settled over the Ammons' home as Latoya and Dominique sat back to observe the results of the ceremony. They waited, holding their breaths, but nothing disturbed the silence. Their gambit seemed to have worked. All the noises had ceased, and when the Ammons went to bed that night, the children were not disturbed in their sleep. This peace lasted for three days, and then all hell broke loose. Latoya and her three children began to act uncharacteristically weird. With no warning, they would break into twisted smiles and begin speaking in deep, distorted voices. It's unclear whether they realized this behavior in themselves, but they could certainly see it in each other. As if this wasn't bad enough, one day, Latoya found her youngest son, seven-year-old Sean, in the closet, speaking to an invisible person. On another occasion, Sean flew out of the bathroom so fast it was as if someone or something had thrown him. The house's horrors also affected Latoya's oldest son, nine-year-old Josh. On one occasion, the children were in the car with their mother and another relative. At a certain point, the two adults realized that Josh and Sean were silently staring off into space. Then, both boys began speaking to each other in deep, distorted voices. Latoya listened, disturbed, as they spoke with certainty about being ready for death. Suddenly, the two boys lashed out at each other and began to fight. Latoya couldn't help but think that they were wrestling with a level of ferocity that had never been present in their usual spats. The adults quickly pulled the car over. Then, Latoya and her relative yanked the fighting boys apart. Sean screamed at his mother, swearing at her. But eventually, the boys calmed down and went back to normal. This same scene would play out again and again. Sean and Josh continued to fall into strange trances, followed by intense fights. Meanwhile, Erica's disturbances continued to escalate. 
After her March levitation, she reported being pinned down by an unseen attacker and choked violently. On another occasion, a force allegedly hit her with a headboard, injuring her badly enough that she needed stitches. Of the family, the only one unaffected by these possessions was Rosa, the grandmother. She believed the demons couldn't touch her because she had a guardian angel. Regardless, some evenings the family was so scared of the house that they went to stay at a hotel. It wasn't really within their budget, but it was worth the price for a night free from demons. But as April 2012 rounded the corner, marking five months in their new home, Latoya and Rosa knew something had to change. Desperate, they decided to at least rule out any medical factors causing the children's violent outbursts. On April 19th, the Ammons family saw their family physician, Dr. Jeffrey Onyeukwu. Dr. Onyeukwu was a man of science, and he had known the Ammons for some time. To him, they didn't seem like the type of people who would make up tall tales. Rosa, Latoya, and the three children explained the details of their haunting to the doctor, who diligently took notes throughout. Initially, Dr. Onye Ukwu wrote that the family was experiencing hallucinations and delusions of ghosts. But then, the appointment took an unexpected turn. Out of nowhere, Sean and Josh started speaking in their deeper demonic voices. They screamed and cursed at Dr. Onye Ukwu. As Latoya and Rosa tried to restrain them, they became even more aggressive. Suddenly, Sean violently flew through the air, crashing into the wall. Then, both he and Josh immediately passed out. Dr. Onye Ukwu couldn't get the boys to wake up, so he had an employee call the hospital. Several ambulances and seven police officers swarmed the doctor's private practice. The paramedics brought the unconscious children to the Methodist Hospital of Gary. Once there, Latoya suggested anointing them with olive oil, but the hospital staff laughed off the suggestion. Then, just as the nurses and orderlies got the boys settled in, they awoke. Josh spoke and acted like his normal self, but Sean screamed and thrashed in his bed. According to Rosa, it took five men to hold the seven-year-old down. Unsure what to do, a hospital staff member called Child Protective Services. They told the agency that they suspected something was very wrong. Perhaps Latoya had a mental illness and was abusing or neglecting her troubled children. The Department of Child Services assigned Valerie Washington to the case. An experienced DCS worker Valerie arrived at the Methodist Hospital and spoke to doctors about the situation. A preliminary interview had determined that Latoya was of sound mind. What's more, the hospital staff had examined the entire family and none of them had any marks or bruises. If some sort of abuse was occurring, then physical violence wasn't a part of it. After receiving this information, Valerie and a nurse entered the Ammons Hospital room. Once inside, Valerie sat down with Latoya and began her interview. But their conversation immediately stopped when something terrifying occurred. Valerie watched as Rosa took Josh's hand. Then, 
Josh walked backwards up the wall, across the ceiling, and down to the other side of the room. Throughout his gravity-defying stunt, he held onto his grandmother's hand, though her feet remained planted on the ground. Terrified, the seasoned caseworker and the nurse ran out of the room. Once they'd caught their breath, they reported the horrifying event to the doctor on duty. However, when all three of them returned to the exam room, Josh was sitting in his chair, acting as if nothing unusual had happened. Noticing his colleague's distress, the doctor asked Josh whether he could repeat the trick. But Josh simply seemed confused. He replied that he couldn't walk up a wall. When the doctor insisted, Josh tried to recreate his action, but was unable. Ultimately, the doctor gave up, unable to explain how a nine-year-old could have possibly scaled his way to the ceiling. Soon after, Valerie Washington called the Ammons family and gave them some bad news. The Department of Child Services would immediately be removing the children from the house and taking them into temporary custody. According to Valerie, the DCS had bypassed a court order and determined that the Ammons kids were in severe emotional danger. Latoya, Rosa, and the children all burst into tears. To be separated now was more painful than anything they'd already been through. But Latoya wasn't ready to give up. She knew that in order to get her children back, she would have to defeat the evil forces in her house for good. When we return, Latoya tracks down an exorcist. And now back to the story. From November 2011 to April 2012, the Ammons family suffered emotional abuse at the hands of supernatural forces. But instead of blaming demons, the Department of Child Services thought Latoya Ammons was somehow at fault. And when they took her three kids away, Latoya knew the only way she would get them back was by cleansing her house of demons. Fortunately, someone had already made the call that might save her family. On April 20, 2012, a hospital chaplain telephoned a local priest named Reverend Michael Maginot. Unlike the other priests Latoya and Rosa had spoken to, Father Maginot believed the Ammon's story. And when the chaplain asked him to perform an exorcism on Latoya's nine-year-old son, Maginot seemed willing. But he also knew it was a serious business. Unlike some other more commonplace rites, to perform an exorcism, a priest needed approval from the Catholic Church itself. To get this, Maginot would need to verify that there was no other explanation for the strange events. Then, he would send the bishop of the local diocese to sanction an exorcism. Bearing all this in mind, Father Maginot agreed to meet. On April 22, 2012, Reverend Michael Maginot came to the supposedly haunted house. There, he interviewed Latoya Ammons and her mother, Rosa Campbell, for four hours. Maginot noticed the boot prints on the carpet that had supposedly come from the Ammons' paranormal visitor. But other than that, there was nothing out of the ordinary in the house. Then, as the two women recounted the haunting, they were suddenly interrupted by a flickering light in the bathroom. The priest walked toward the bulb. 
When he got near the lamp, it promptly went back to normal. As he wandered away from it, however, the blinking resumed, leading Father Maginot to remark, It must be scared of me. Latoya and Rosa continued the interview, but once again, they were interrupted. This time, it was the Venetian blinds in the kitchen. They began swaying as if disturbed by a breeze, but there wasn't any wind. Minutes after, Latoya complained of a headache. As an experiment, the reverend took out a cross and placed it on her forehead. Instantly, Latoya began to convulse dramatically. Father Maginot quickly removed the cross. He had seen enough. He told the two women it was unsafe to stay in their house and that he would write a report to the bishop to get permission for an exorcism. In the meantime, he blessed the house, saying prayers in each room and sprinkling it with holy water. Following this visit, Rosa and Latoya left to stay in a relative's home. Meanwhile, as the DCS continued their investigation, they mandated well-being checks on the house. So a few days after Father Maginot's interview, caseworker Valerie Washington arrived for a routine appointment. At her request, Valerie was followed into the home by a police escort. The incident in the hospital was still fresh in her mind, so she wanted to make sure they were safe. During their survey, nothing overtly malevolent happened, but many of the officers noticed small, strange things. Their radios and other equipment either malfunctioned or ran out of power, even if they had just replaced the batteries. And photos of the house showed distorted shapes that some of the officers thought looked like people. One cop recorded their exploration inside the house. When he played the audio back later, he thought that his recorder had picked up a strange voice whispering, hey. After another officer left the home, his car seat suddenly started to move back and forth. The motor that adjusted the seat's position had given out for no seeming reason, which could have led to a fatal accident. As a result of these occurrences, both Valerie and the police left the house feeling more confused than they had before. However, while the building seemed creepy, they couldn't confirm that it was infested by over 200 demons, like the Ammons claimed. They grappled over whether or not to conduct another investigation. Meanwhile, therapists interviewed the children to ensure they didn't have undiagnosed mental illnesses. During one of these meetings, child psychologist Stacy Wright interviewed the youngest son, Sean. In her reports, the little boy did not seem mentally perplexed at all. Wright said he acted completely normally until the conversation turned to demons. Then he would become confused, offering contradictory and at times nonsensical information. He would begin to act as if he were possessed. Psychologist Joel Schwartz interviewed the other two children, nine-year-old Josh and 12-year-old Erica. His conclusion matched that of Wright's. None of the children had any mental disorder, and both psychologists agreed that the kids might be suffering under the influence of their superstitious mother. Due to these findings, the DCS set goals for the family, requiring that Latoya Ammons provide her children with access to therapy move into a new house and stop telling the children about her paranormal beliefs. 
Latoya agreed to comply with these objectives while the authorities continued to investigate the house. On May 10, 2012, another group of police officers accompanied Rosa and Latoya to their home. This time, Valerie did not join. She claimed she never wanted to go into that house again. So a different caseworker, Samantha Illick, took her place. Father Maginot rounded out the party. This time, whatever presence was haunting the house was ready for them. Samantha Illick noticed a sticky liquid dripping from the basement ceiling, but couldn't find its source. It gave her an uneasy feeling. Suddenly, Samantha's pinky finger began to ache and turn white. She said it felt broken. Then she started gasping. She couldn't breathe and felt like she was having a panic attack. Samantha fled the house to wait outside. In her absence, officers noticed an oily substance trickling from the Venetian blinds in one of the bedrooms. They cleaned it off and left the room. But when they returned 20 minutes later, the blinds were once again slick with a mysterious liquid and no one had been inside. Father Maginot claimed that this was proof of a demonic presence. He quickly wrote it all in his report to Bishop Dale Melzick, who ran the Diocese of Gary, Indiana. Yet despite his certainty, Maginot was unable to convince Bishop Melzick. The bishop wouldn't permit an exorcism, but he did encourage Maginot to seek other priests who had done similar rites in the past. After some research, Maginot found a minor ritual that he could perform without church approval. This was similar to an exorcism, but lacked the power of the church-sanctioned rite. He hoped that it would be enough. On the day of this small exorcism, which occurred at some point in late May, Father Maginot met with Latoya Ammons, two police officers, and DCS caseworker Samantha Illick. With the five of them present, the priest started chanting. He called for the demons to leave Latoya. Meanwhile, the officers and Samantha started to feel unsettled. The reverend's attention was all towards Latoya, but the spectators felt like something was watching them. They sensed another presence in the room, breathing down their necks. Finally, the ceremony ended. It had taken two hours. As he put away his Bible and crosses, the Reverend gave Latoya an exorcism homework assignment. He told her that she needed to find the names of the demons who were haunting her family. If they figure out these titles, then the next exorcism would be more effective. Latoya spent all night researching evil spirits online. She called Maginot the next day with a list of hired demons known for tormenting families and children. Father Maginot had promising news, too. He had received church approval for an exorcism. Since the first ritual had been unsuccessful, Bishop Melzick had changed his mind. What's more, both he and Maginot believed that to eradicate the evil from the house, they first needed to cleanse Latoya. They thought that the evil spirits that plagued the Ammons family were possessing her. In June of 2012, Father Maginot brought Latoya Ammons to his church in Merrillville, Indiana. In the house of the Lord, he knew he had the upper hand this time. When Latoya sat down, 
Maginot began the ceremony. For hours and hours, he chanted, prayed, and sang. Maginot alternated between praising God and chastising the evil spirits. All the while, he steadily observed Latoya. At times, she convulsed, indicating that the evil spirits were fighting back. In response, Maginot would shout his prayers even more forcefully. After hours of this, Latoya finally relaxed. Maginot had not defeated the evil spirits, but their hold on her had weakened. Heartened by these results, Father Maginot performed two more exorcisms on Latoya Ammons throughout June, delivering the final one in Latin. It was only after all three exorcisms that he declared her free of evil spirits. For her part, Latoya felt relieved and hopeful. After the exorcisms, she didn't feel the anxiety that had troubled her so much over the last few months, and she and Rosa had found a new place for their family in Indianapolis. Then, in November 2012, one year after the haunting began, the Ammons family was finally reunited. Sean, Josh, and Erica leapt with joy when they saw their mother again. Latoya later said that this was the happiest day of her life. In January 2013, the Ammons' new case manager reported that the family had reported no demons in their new house. If there had been a presence haunting them, they had left it behind in Gary. But as the Ammons family moved on with their life, the demons might have claimed victory elsewhere. Valerie Washington, the original DCS case manager, quit her job not long after working with the Ammons. In an interview in the documentary Demon House, she said that dealing with so much child suffering was too much for her to take, and she was traumatized by what she'd seen Josh do in the hospital room. The lack of a rational explanation had left her terrified. The other caseworker, Samantha Illick, had a string of medical accidents after leaving the Ammons house. She broke three ribs while on a jet ski, received a third-degree burn from a motorcycle, and even broke her hand and her ankle in two different incidents. All of these events occurred within 30 days of her visiting the house. Samantha herself was skeptical that this was due to any demonic influence, but she claimed that several of her friends were convinced that something evil had attached itself to her. A year later, in January 2014, the Indianapolis Star did a deep dive article, and the Ammons case received widespread media attention. People speculated about whether the haunting was real or just a publicity stunt. The most unsettling part about the case was the number of witnesses. Caseworkers, police officers, hospital staff, and family members all agree that whatever happened to the Ammons was terrifying and bizarre. It may have been supernatural in origin. The case was so fascinating and caused such a stir that even celebrity demon hunter Zach Bagans became involved. In 2014, Zach purchased the house for $35,000, he claimed that he would get to the bottom of whatever had tormented the Ammons family. Zack spent the next two years filming a documentary, after which he demolished the Ammons' old house. If interested parties wanted answers, they would have to wait for Zack's movie, Demon House, which debuted 
in 2018. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back on Thursday with Part 2 of the Ammons Haunting Case. For more information on this haunting, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Indianapolis Star's article, The Exorcisms of Latoya Ammons, by Marissa Kwiatkowski, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember... Never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Matt Teamstra, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. 